When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Buffalo Beat. My name is Joe Biscalia. Thanks, everyone, for joining in on another post-game episode. The Bills conduct their business, albeit in a rather interesting manner uh, against the Atlanta Falcons, but they end up with a two-score win, yet another game where they win by more than a score, and uh, and they advance themselves to 10-6. and six. They clinch their spot in the NFL playoffs, and now they are only one more win away from claiming their second straight AFC East crown. So we'll get into exactly how it came to be in this game, um, which, you know, kind of felt similar to the Panthers game in a way, but uh, we'll get into all that. Uh, joining me, as always, is Matt Bovey. He is the sports director at Channel 7, WKBW in Buffalo, and we are here to go over all the good, the bad, and the sometimes ugly, yeah. and there were there were some ugly spots today, Bovey. There were. It's weird. Like, when you just said that it feels a little bit like the Panthers game, after the Panthers game, I just kind of was like, meh, they won. The Panthers got a pretty good defense. At least the offense looked good. After the game today, I don't feel better about the Bills. I, I guess I don't want to say that I don't feel worse. I, I just kind of am like, man, that was a stinker, especially from the passing game. And that's a bit concerning considering the level of opponent they played. That said, I do think that it is more of a one-off than I think it is a big problem for them. Um, but I do just, you know, after everything that happened last week and after watching the Patriots put up a 50-burger on the Jags, it feels like it's almost inevitable at this point that those two teams are going to meet in the playoffs. There's a lot that could still happen. Mm-hmm. But I don't feel great about the way the Bills played today. I will say, though, the defense once again had a nice day. There were things that they did today that were impressive. But, yeah, I I don't know. I don't exactly know how to feel after the game itself. Obviously, the fact that they've clinched a playoff spot, kudos to them, because a couple weeks ago, we didn't exactly know what position this team was going to be in at this point in the season. So good for them for clinching a playoff spot, but a rather uninspiring performance, at least from the offense, in my opinion, specifically the passing offense. Yeah, it, um, it. The reason why I think it was similar to the Panthers game is because I don't feel like I learned anything about the Bills, and that was to be expected. I mean, I, I remember going through it a bit with you on last week's episode, where you're like, "The Falcons are seven and eight, and I'm like, "Yeah, they suck. Uh-huh. <laughs> they yeah. they re- they really really suck. The Bills should have." Uh, won this game, I think, by 45. And they allowed them to stay in it. And one person really allowed them to stay in it. And, you know, not to, like, harp on it too much, but this was this was a bad showing for Josh Allen. They He did a lot of things poorly in this game. You know, running the ball was, was very much a good thing. And the reason why they were able to, you know, punch in those those two drives at the beginning of the game to get themselves to a 14-2 lead. And... They were very close to punching in a third touchdown drive to make it 21-2, and then this thing would have been boat race territory. But then Allen basically gifted the Falcons 10 points, and that allowed allowed Atlanta to uh, take the lead in the game and um, take the lead to halftime probably pissed all of them off that they that they had the lead. You could tell by the way Allen was talking after the fact that um, he was not happy with himself, nor should he be. I mean, his accuracy was not great. I mean, did he deal with, like, 
a drop or two? Yes, he did. But the Bills still were able to overcome it for touchdowns on on those drives. But putting the ball at risk the way that he did and, you know, throwing those two picks right at the end of the half, um, the way that uh, Tim Graham wrote it uh, for his for his postgame article was instead of the double dip, he called it the double derp. Um, <laughs> that's pretty good. That's pretty good. <laughs> he, 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 he thought of it. Um, that's good. Like, Right, right after the second interception, and he could not stop laughing. So, uh, so kudos to uh, to my guy TG. But, uh, but yeah, that that's what happened. And Allen almost single handedly allowed the Falcons to get right back in the game. Now, the the defense had to give up that that long play to Kyle Pitts, and that was a part of the equation. But I mean, the, this game should have been a nineteen point lead, and or at the very worst. A, I'm sorry, not a 19-point lead, a 16-point lead. And at the very worst, it should have been a 12-point lead with, by getting a field goal. But Allen screwed it up, doubled down on it with uh, with another bad throw that, that wound up getting picked off by A.J. Terrell. And that's that's why we ended up seeing what we saw. And it's, I think it was interesting that the Bills had that happen. And probably, if you're looking at it optimistically, a good thing that it happened uh in with two weeks to go before the postseason, so that way they don't have to, uh, or that way he kind of gets this clunker out of out of his arsenal, or maybe he doesn't get complacent heading into the playoffs, anything like that. However you want to spin it, but th- there are ways to kind of you know keep him sharp and and think that he needs to keep himself sharper during a week, unless uh, un- because something like that is going to happen. But I also think the way that. Um, Brian Dable answered in the second half when it became abundantly clear. The third interception, it was very clear that Allen just didn't have it uh, uh, today. And to Dable's credit, he kept them in a multifaceted look, but he took the ball basically out of Allen's hand in terms of being a passer down the stretch. And that, and he knew that the offensive line had an advantage on the Falcons' defensive line, and they definitely took, they definitely um, exploited that advantage. And to their credit, they marched it down the field multiple times and was were able to come away with a victory. But it showed them, I guess, at least that they can survive a game like this where Allen doesn't have his best stuff. But they're not going to be going up against the Falcons in the playoffs. The Falcons are one of the worst teams in the league by most metrics and um it i think that might just need to be a minor wake-up call for for allen and the offense to um not take things for granted and and not always choose to throw across his body because he he does that from time to time yeah i think if nothing else i agree with you there because devin singletary in the run game really did step up unlike we've seen a lot of times this year you know he was exceptional for the bills today i do think It made me realize last week, I think I said, when Josh Allen plays the way he did, there are really no teams that I don't think the Bills can beat. And today it was the opposite. When Josh Allen plays like he did today, there are very few teams I think the Bills can beat. Now, the good news for the Bills and for Bills fans is this is more of an outlier than the norm, which is good. But I do think it was a little bit of a wake-up call like, yeah, like, This team is a stinker away from getting bounced in the first round. And I don't want to sound like all doom and gloom because I don't think that that's going to be the case. Like, I don't think that they're going to have this kind of performance in the playoffs. I just think it was a little weird to see them kind of have this type of day after the 10-quarter tear that they were on. I would even call it an 11-quarter tear because the first quarter they were good in this game. They were moving the ball and they had some touchdowns and the Greg Rousseau strip sack ultimately gave them the second touchdown they had. But, you know, this offense has been so efficient and after the first quarter, there was a, you know, quarter and a half lull where it wasn't just inefficient, it was bad. So it was weird to see and I'm a little curious of you know, what happened on the interceptions, like the first one, I understand what Allen is trying to do. And mm-hmm. I also understand that that's a very aggressive play that he probably shouldn't make, but he also makes that play more often than not. 
And if it doesn't get tipped, I'm wondering if we're talking about like a ridiculous touchdown pass to Stefan Diggs. The second one was weird to me. The one at the end of the half. So the second leg of the double derp, as Tim said. <laughs> I don't I don't know. Like I saw a couple people saying on social media that it looked like Beasley stopped his route. I don't know if there was miscommunication there. If Allen was just off on his timing or what exactly happened. That was a weird one. And then the third one. You know how you said it feels like the offense is inevitable these last couple weeks with how they've scored? It almost felt like the third one was an inevitable interception just because of the way the last couple have come. And I was like, ooh, goodness. So basically after that one, I did like that they kind of switched gears. And it is a good sign that Devin Singletary was able to have the success that he had today because I do think he's an important piece for this team moving forward. I still think this offense, the bread and butter, is always going to be the passing attack. And I think that needs to be what they lean on. But it is good to see, like, hey, if you do get a weird type of a game, maybe Devin Singletary will have enough juice to get you through that. But, yeah, overall, just a a really weird day for the passing offense that just gives me a couple red flags as they get ready for a playoff push here. Yeah, um, I don't know. I don't don't know if it, it makes me think that they're ultimately taking a step back. I think they just kind of had a crap day and and teams will have that every once in a while. And to the Bills credit, they were able to spin the crap and and, uh, and march forward for a, a two touchdown win. And that's not usually the case when your passing offense isn't playing super well, um, especially not with how the Bills want to play. But, you know, they they took advantage of the opponent and they dominated the second half in every phase and they were able to uh to put together just a a complete stop to what the falcons were trying to do i mean even even matt ryan like completely screwed them out of a a third touchdown that would have been meaningless but yeah (laughs) that was electric the, the the taunting penalty was outstanding um but i don't i don't think this is necessarily a a sign of bad things to come. I think it was a down day for Allen and I think I'm I'm taking it at surface level because he has been so good um over the past month and a half, two months to where I'm like yeah, you're you're not you're going to have some regression to the mean a bit and you can't play out of control good um every single week. So to me that's just that's just him going through the, the doldrums of, uh, you know, the ups and downs of an NFL calendar. And um, so I, I'm myself, I'm not um, concerned based on how they looked, because I think the the things that did look good was the fact that the offensive line looked great. Again, pass blocking uh-huh. um, the the running game got going a bit. Devin Singletary, like you said, got going a bit. Zach Moss even looked good. He's he's kind of supplanting her. Um, confirming himself as their uh, primary backup to Devin Singletary. So those are good things. Um, Cole Beasley kind of reestablished himself as a as a, a good target against zone coverage. Um, they they worked in Isaiah McKenzie a little bit more than than they used to before uh, Beasley went out on the COVID list. Um, but but yeah, I, I think there were some good things to take away. Uh, I did find it interesting that Allen struggled as much as he did. And I wonder, well, I don't know if I wonder, I think there's a correlation between that and the Falcons making it a priority to take Dawson Knox out of the game. I saw them key on him a couple of different times. There was one where it looked like the Bills were trying to run a misdirection to a shovel pass right into the end zone. And uh, and the and the Bills probably thought they were going to have an easy score there. And the Falcons had two defenders on Dawson Knox. And then there was another one where um, Knox kind of slipped off a block uh, as Allen rolled out to his right. And, you know, they thought it was going to be an easy little loft throw for uh, for what could have been a first down. But there was a player in Allen's face and then someone picked up Knox and, and didn't take the bait of it. So I think they kind of, the Falcons kind of equated like, okay, if you can take Knox out of the equation, you, you get rid of all of these little five, six, seven yard gains that, uh, Allen will go to when, when he, when he's in need and, uh, and, you know, try and force the issue that way. So it ultimately didn't work because the Falcons run defense is horrid, 
But I thought it was a nice job by them to take away Knox, and that that could have been a contributing factor in this one. Well, it also goes back to when the Bills struggled earlier in the year. And I think at the time, we didn't necessarily equate the Bills' struggles to not having Dawson Knox. But they did struggle more in the games, if I remember correctly, where he was out with his hand injury. What games did he miss? He missed the second half of the Titans game, and they didn't have a ton of success offensively in that game. I mean, he, missed... he, was, out there. he was there for the Jags game. <laughs> what did he... I'm trying to think. He missed probably what two games? Oh no, he wasn't in. The, he he didn't play the Jags game. I'm sorry, I had that mistaken. Yeah. Um, he uh yeah it was he was out for the Dolphins and the Jags, and then he returned for the Jets. I mean he was out there for the Colts game too. Yeah. Um, yeah, just Saints, a weird, just a weird kind of. Yeah, he yeah. dominated in the Saints game. He he is an important piece of their offense, and maybe that's something that other teams are now going to try and do. And if the Bills are aware that they're going to, opponents are going to try and take out Dawson Knox, that should create some favorable matchups for some of their guys like Stefan Diggs and Gabriel Davis. It just kind of depends on the team that they ultimately go up against in whatever the first round of the playoffs are. So yeah, that's an interesting thing. I mean, he didn't have any catches today. That is very unlike the way the Bills have played this season because Dawson Knox has become... I don't know, probably his second most trusted target behind Stefan Diggs, maybe third, but still, he's really, really up there. And it was a weird, quiet day from him, but it also didn't feel like he was doing anything like wrong either. It just kind of felt like he was covered every time they were looking for him. Yeah, I don't I don't think the Falcons were like assigning him a, 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 some bracket coverage to take him out of the game. I think they were just very cognizant of all the misdirection stuff that the Bills like to run that sometimes open up Knox, and Knox is a is a really trusted valve on those plays for Josh Allen. And and that I think probably was a piece of their focus when, you know, the Bills are trying to move left to right. Uh, you know, Knox is has turned into kind of a a thing for them on those plays. And so I, I just thought it was a nice job by the Falcons. Maybe not nothing to take away from all in all, but uh, the Falcons certainly keyed on him on those misdirection moments. What did you think of Cole Beasley today? Um, I don't want to once again like put it all on one person, but it just felt like as a general statement, when they were throwing at Cole Beasley, it didn't work or something bad happened. I mean, he had six targets. He had two catches. One of them was on, I think, their first offensive drive of the game. He had like a nice like 13-yard catch. And then after Mm -hmm. that, he really didn't do much. And it felt like when they were looking for him, it was either an incompletion or it was the interception that ultimately happened at the end of the second half. It was just, I don't know, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about. I I just question how much he has left in the tank and how big of a role he should be playing moving forward. I mean, McKenzie wasn't that good today, if we're being honest. So I don't think uh, I don't think any I don't think anybody was that good today. No, I mean the the Falcons play majority zone, so I so I understand why they they put Beasley out there as much. And I do have the the stats uh, on on the snaps with those two guys. Um, Beasley wound up with thirty six snaps. McKenzie had twenty three, but it's a bit more nuanced than that. Um, when the Bills were in eleven personnel, which with three wide receivers, Cole Beasley had thirty four. Uh, slot snaps and McKenzie only had 16 so it was a share of 68% to 32% so they bumped McKenzie up a little bit but But it was still it was yeah it was still Cole Beasley and I I I think it really boiled down to Allen just being a bit off today Mm -hmm. I think Beasley does a I mean (laughs) believe me I have been as loud as anyone that I think Beasley has lost a step but Against zone, he is good. And he's he's better than good because he he understands how coverages work. And he understands how to read defenders. And I don't think... And McKenzie does an okay job of that. Probably an above average job of that. But I don't think he compares to to how Beasley plays it. So you, gotta, you have to kind of weigh what you have. Like yards after catch, you're not going to get much with Cole Beasley. But you're going to have more opportunities for targets with Cole Beasley on those plays. Um, then, then I think you will with Isaiah McKenzie. If a team's running man to man, you throw McKenzie out there and let him beat him. But the 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 where it really comes to comes to pass here 
is that most teams run majority zone coverage. Like there is no full on man coverage team in the NFL. Like that's why Beasley remains has and holds so much value because he does a nice job against those things. So, so yeah, I, I did find it interesting um, because, you know, just tracking how they were using each one um, McKenzie. And this, this is uh, something I wrote about over at the athletic in my, in my post game observations, McKenzie on goal to go situations had eight snaps compared to only one for Beasley. And I think the reason for that was because uh, is because McKenzie gives them the threat to kind of spread out the field where where things are a bit more condensed down by the goal line. So if you, if the defense has to worry about uh, you know a guy going in motion or you know running from one side to the other, then that's going to take some focus on what's happening in the middle of the field and maybe taking a defender a little bit out of uh, out of position just ever so much to where they can sneak a ball in for a touchdown. So I, I think there's there's value for him down there and Beasley because, you know, because it's more condensed down there, he can't do as much damage. Um, so I think that's probably the usage. And the fact that they went four for four with goal, in goal-to-go situations means to me that they're probably going to do something similar moving forward. But uh, but yeah, their usage today was something that I was really interested to see. And uh I, I don't necessarily think that I was surprised in how they used to those two guys, um, even though McKenzie had such a strong day last week. Well, and I am concerned to an extent, once again, about the Bill. It feels like it's harder than it needs to be for the Bills to get into the end zone on like anything inside the five. And I don't exactly know the reason for it, but I jokingly tweeted today, like, I'm more confident when the Bills have, like, third and nine or third and ten that they're going to get it than I am when the Bills have, like, third and two, third and three, especially as they get close to the end zone. I mean, you look at the first touchdown they scored, they went for it on fourth down, and they drew a DPI on Diggs, and then it took them, I think, two more plays for Allen to get in. And then on the second touchdown that Allen ran in, was there also another penalty on that that gave them a couple more cracks at it? The one where he rushed out to our side where we were in the press box? Was there any, do you remember, was there any additional plays there? Or did they just um, get in? Did they just get in on like second down on that one? Uh, let, let me, what, what, I'm sorry, what drive were you talking about? I'm talking about their second touchdown drive. It, it, it's really beside the point, I guess. It's just for mm-hmm. me, one of the concerns is red zone efficiency, but more so red zone efficiency as they get closer to the actual goal line. It feels like when this team is like within the five, it's harder than it should be to score. And I get there's a, you run out of space. There's only so much area that you can use. It's just, it feels like it's been a problem for this team kind of all year. And I feel like that's a problem that could really haunt them in the playoffs. Because any time that they have to settle for three and not seven when they're that close could be the difference in ultimately a win or a loss. So on um, five yards or fewer goal-to-go situations, they um, are, let's see, one of four, two of five, um... They were three of six on those so th- situations. Three of six, and that Where, was that resulted in touchdowns. So I they guess. had six. They had six attempts within the five yard line, and they got a touchdown on three of them, which isn't bad. I guess fifty percent is fine, right? Yeah. I guess it's yeah. just kind of. There's so much to it because it would depend think, on how think, long it takes to get there. And yeah, I think you're you're probably referring to that first drive because they had four different cracks at it and they had the defensive pass interference which you're alluding to yeah. um and then you know they couldn't get it on first down and then Allen put it in for a touchdown right after that so yeah. they were they were one of four in that one but their next two opportunities they capitalized without delay well the next two were i think the one was the attempt to Dawkins and then it was just Josh running it in and then the other one would have been Singletary rushing it in on the first attempt when they got inside the five. No, so, there yeah. wasn't a there there that that was that was a the Dawkins one was on the first TD drive. 
Um, and then was, the the play after that, there, the, Allen had a design run on third and goal from the five that that went for a touchdown on the second um, on their second okay. touchdown drive. Uh, okay, so I just had the yeah. the two of them flipped. Yeah, 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 exactly. I just yeah, I just think it's a sneaky issue. Like even going back to the Patriots game last week, like I love that they went for it on fourth down. Like I think they should be doing that all the time when they're that close. It's just a bit of a concern that it took them that many times to get it. And then last week they also had the goal line stand or the stand at the two-yard line or whatever it was that led to the turnover on downs. Once again, like that they went for it. They just couldn't get into the end zone. I just feel like in those situations, and Josh Allen did have two rushing touchdowns today, the guy is like 16 feet tall. Just use the quarterback. And I think good things will happen. I just think they overcomplicate things when they get close to the end zone. Yeah. Yeah, they, they do a little bit. And part of that is a uh, lack of a trust in their offensive line to get a push up front because that's not who they are. Um, I, you know, they haven't gone to the well with Zach Moss uh, in those one or two yard situations um, all that often recently. And he that's why I think he, the way that he ran today was pretty important to them because he looked powerful. Um, he was bowling some, some defenders over. And the the Falcons are a bad tackling team, but him getting that confidence in trying to move the ball downhill and, you know, you know, even just running uh, decisively is a good thing to see when they need to go to him in those specific spots. And it just gives them another option. Like, you know, is, is uh, Devin Singletary going to push the pile into the end zone on those one or two yards to go things? Probably not. Um, Moss has a better shot at it. And like you said, Allen's part of it, but everyone and their brother is going to know, is going to know that the bills are probably aiming to use Josh Allen on a quarterback sneak to get it into the end zone. And they're, they're just really failing to get a push up front with that. At least with, with Moss, um, it can get a fullback into the equation or something like that to where they can, uh, or maybe he can sidestep to get into the end zone, but it just gives them another outlet. So yeah, there it does. It is something that they'll need to work on, but it's also something of just what they aren't. And as an offense, you can't be everything. And th- you know that's team. You'll see certain teams struggle in certain situations, and one of the the big problems for the Bills is they can't power run, uh, no matter how much they want to. Um, a lot of it has to be misdirection, getting out in open space, making guys miss. Like that's that's them. Uh, but but yeah, I, I I hear where you're coming from, and they need their red zone efficiency needs to be a bit better in those situations. But they were four for four in goal to go situations today, so I don't think they're going to be looking at it too hard. Maybe just little tweaks, but I definitely understand where you're coming from. I don't want to be the doom and gloom person here too, because like we said, they've played 11 quarters of ridiculous football on offense. It just seems like now maybe that they have clinched a playoff spot. I'm kind of going going through things with like a really like fine brush and just trying to figure out like, okay, like what does this team got have to do to ultimately accomplish what everybody is hoping that they accomplish and I guess I understand that things don't all things are never going to be perfect in any game and it's fun and it's and it's funny because I'm like looking at everything I've got the stat sheets open from today and all of the notes that we've taken and all the notes that I've taken and they did still win by two touchdowns today and I'm probably being a little too hypercritical considering they did win by two touchdowns. It's just now I think the way my mind works, it's like, okay, they're in the playoffs. And now I'm thinking almost even past the Jets, which I shouldn't be doing. But I'm like thinking about who could this team play in the playoffs that's going to give them a problem? And why will this team give them a problem? And that's just the way that the cranks in my mind are going, Bracing. Yeah, and it's it's completely understandable because when – you know, after the Bills beat the Patriots, you look at these next two opponents and go, okay, well, they should just absolutely crush both of these teams. Um, I mean, the Bills were favored by 14 and a half. Shout out to Vegas for getting for getting people to bet, bet uh, the over. On they're, always, they're always right. One up in them. Um, and then I think the over under was 44 and a half too, which is ridiculous. Um did you see next week yet? Did you see the line for next week? No, I was going to ask. Is it is it over 10? Yes. Yeah. 
So, guess, uh, guess, guess what it is. I'll say 11 and a half. Higher. Wow. Um, yeah, just tell me. 17. Whoa! Uh, <laughs> yep. It might actually might have been 17 and a half. It's 17 or 17 and a half. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, well, yeah, the Bills should absolutely hold serve. They're going to be kind of ticked off by the way that this one um, got out of control for a solid three minutes at the end of the first half. Like, if it were, honestly, if it weren't for those three minutes at the end of the first half. Oh, it's I a completely, I, it's a completely different conversation. This is, this me. is, this is a 45 point victory. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but, but Allen did that. That was, that's on the quarterback. And so that's why, that's why he's ticked off. All right. Let's, let's uh, get into the defense because I thought they were awesome today. Outside of the Kyle Pitts big play. They were really stinking good. You know, their their pressure was was good on Matt Ryan. Falcons, just to underscore the point, Falcons have one of the worst offensive lines in the league. That's there's nothing the Bills can do about that. They took advantage of what they needed to. But I will say this is one of the worst offensive lines in the league. However, the way that the Bills impose their will on the pocket consistently is something to kind of take and store away and the way that they did it because it's now becoming a trend and a staple of their season and the 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 most important piece to their defensive line has nothing to do with the defensive ends it has all to do with the guy in the middle and that's ed oliver and the, the fact that he is playing as well as he has been basically all season, and now he's putting up the, the flash statistical plays on top of it, setting up his teammates, it just goes to show why the Bills have believed so feverishly in how much that three-technique defensive tackle position means to the way that they play, play defense. Because this is not a, a team and a defensive scheme that... Um, likes to put a ton of pressure on uh, on the quarterback in terms of like you know manufacturing it with blitzes. I mean they'll do it from time to time if they're not getting a push, and we saw that against Tampa Bay late in the game. But more often than not, this is a team that likes to just rush the front four or maybe uh, rush three of the front four, drop one uh, back into coverage, and then rush a linebacker or a safety or something like that. That's what they like to do. But the best way for them to get this consistent pressure is the shortest path. It's point A to point B. And that is the three technique defensive tackle working against a guard. Um, and that path to the quarterback is often a lot shorter. Most often because uh, it's just logic. Secondly, because um, defensive ends, if they if they have a wide rush, they'll force the, the quarterback to step into the pocket. And then thirdly, which I think is an underrated point, is teams across the league really do not put much um, off-season capital into the guard position, whether it be free agent dollars or high draft picks. So when you have Ed Oliver working against a guard more often than not, then that's usually going to be a plus for for the bills so when he's playing the way that he did in this game he took over the second half that was uh, oliver was their best player on the field without question in this one so when he's playing like that that should be the thing that bills fans are going okay the biggest difference between last year's postseason and this year's postseason could wind up being the guy in the middle peaking the way that he is and, you know, helping that pass rush to be a lot better than it was last year. And it's not just him. It's the guy he's been lined up next to a couple times. Well, almost every play when they're both out on the field. Harrison Phillips has been really good this last month and a half, too. And you were the first person, really, to start talking about it. And since, he's just taken his game to a whole new level. And that has provided them with so many other options when they're rushing the passer. Even when they're not rushing the passer, just getting to the quarterback, they've had more success because those guys are doing so much in the middle that it frees up a lane for 
you know, Greg Rousseau, or it gives Taron Johnson that extra path to get to the quarterback and ultimately take Matt down Matt Ryan. It just feels like the defensive line, especially in the interior, has really turned a corner. And when your interior defensive line is good, that changes everything. I mean, I think even going back, like, didn't people always talk about the way to beat Brady was pressuring him up the middle with interior with the interior defensive line. And that's why the giants always had success in those super bowls against him. Like I remember that being kind of a thing. I, I, I it's a thing pretty much every year with teams, but yeah, Ed Oliver was a freak today and Harrison Phillips was also very good. Yeah. Phillips um, got the start over star Latula again. It's the second time the second straight time in which both players have been active that Phillips has gotten the start over Latulale. Um Phillips outsnapped Star by my count, 37 to 18. Phillips played on uh, 68.5% of snaps and had more snaps than any uh, defensive tackle on the roster today. So he's he's playing himself into another contract. It's it's really that simple. Uh, they They have seen such growth from him to where it would make all the sense in the world for them to uh, move on from star at, at, at the end of the season because they can save a little over four mil, use that for a new contract for Harrison Phillips. Then you have a long-term option at one t- technique defensive tackle. And it's not as though he has taken such a huge step forward that you have to give him huge free agent dollars, um, but they can sign him to a manageable cost control deal than, and have what they believe to be a, a suitable starter next to Ed Oliver moving forward. I also thought that the corners did a commendable job today. And I know that the Falcons don't have really anybody who would line up out wide that would concern you besides wherever Kyle Pitts was lined up. But I just thought that overall they've been solid. Like it, per, not perfect, but solid. And that was such a question after the Tredavious White injury. Like, we were basically sitting here talking like, how good can the Bills be when we don't know what's going to happen with the corners? Now, they are still an injury away from really having to figure out what they would do. But if they stay healthy, I think Levi Wallace has done a good job all year. And I think Dane Jackson, since he's been called upon, has done a good enough job. And it just feels like the way that they are set up this team, I like how they would be able to handle most of the teams they could potentially have to play in the playoffs besides Cincinnati, because I don't know how anybody stops those guys. I'm going to disagree a little bit. I think Dane Jackson's going to be a problem in the playoffs. Well, and I think... No, I, be, be, I, I have seen enough signs to where savvy passing offenses will be able to exploit him to where the Falcons and the Jets do not have the passing attack to do it. The Panthers certainly didn't. Um, The Buccaneers exploited him. The Patriots don't have the passing offense to do it. So I think he's kind of fortunate for the schedule that they're going up against, but, and to kind of build his confidence up a little bit, but I think he's going to be a problem. He, he takes the bait far too often. And, uh, and, you know, if, if the Bills are going up against a team like the Chargers or the Bengals or the Chiefs, uh, I think there could be some some massive uh, potential for, for big plays up against Dane Jackson. That, that's just that's just what I've seen on film. And I've I've written about it. I've, d- I've done screenshots on it. Um, I, I just have to be honest about it. I think he's still a liability on, on this defense. And, you know, not to say he can't get better, but um, the teams will test him. And because he... He falls prey to double moves far too often. And, uh, you know, savvy teams will, will will press him on that. Well, I think he kind of has to get tested, though, right? Because he would be the person that almost everybody would test. Well, yeah. And, and I mean, he hasn't been tested yet is, is the thing of it. And I still believe that that um, play in overtime uh, the, against yeah, Tampa the, Bay was yeah. his fault. Because he didn't read it correctly, because he stumbled out of out of the break uh, right right at the beginning, and then he he kept going with the defender, even though um, it looked pretty clear as day that they were supposed to switch defenders and, and pick up the other one to you know to increase their odds of coverage. And there's been there's been a few other times where teams have just missed against him, and no one talks about it because nothing happened, but. 
it's it's a thing. I like I'm not bringing this up to be a, a jerk. Uh, oh no. no. I, I just I just I just think that if we're looking at potential flaws of this roster and what they're going to have to overcome, they're going to need that pass rush to get back there to help out Dane Jackson because teams like Chargers, Bengals, um, and the Chiefs Heck, even the Titans, because the Titans are probably going to have Julio Jones back by that point, and AJ Brown's really stinking good. And what what do you do with those two guys? Because both oh. both of them can can beat um, Dane Jackson. So I, I think I think they've got uh, to you know figure some things out. And I just yeah, it's just something to keep an eye on as we get to the playoffs. Is there a worse team in the AFC to potentially get? the first round by then if it's the Titans and if Derrick Henry can come back like what a way to come out of the first round by if they ultimately get it and then in the second rounds they have AJ Brown Julio and Derrick Henry and if for some mm-hmm. reason the Bills are the team that matches up against them I think the Bills have absolutely a puncher's chance I think they were a Josh Allen slip away from beating them earlier in the year but that team all of a sudden becomes that much scarier, especially if they have Derrick Henry back and if Julio is healthy, which I, he feels like he's always banged up. But uh, yeah, you're, I mean, your point of Dane Jackson is 100% fair. I think I'm probably just kind of looking at how the defense as a whole is played and said like, oh, I don't really think anybody's gotten burned. But the point that you're making is totally fair because, I mean, Tredavious White goes down in the Saints game. They give up six points in that game. Then they play mm-hmm. the Patriots. They give up fourteen in that game. Then they play. Well, they. I mean, they only they only threw the ball three <laughs> yeah. times. Yeah, and then like, the Bucks, how much of a test is that? That's true. And then the Bucks game is the one that you know you brought up the point in overtime. And then after that, they really haven't played any legitimate wide receivers. Even last week when they played against the Patriots, I mean, Jacoby Myers, Kendrick Bourne, like. Who, who of those are we shaking about? So, exactly. yeah, I, I mean, this is, I, I still think, like, if the Bills get to the, like, if the Bills are in the playoffs, they need to, of course, you want the defense to play as good as they possibly can. But I think the offense is going to need to be the thing that goes out and wins them a game. Like, that's why Josh Allen is the best player on their team. Go out and put up more than 30. Yeah. And, they're, and, yeah. They're capable, and they're capable of doing that against... I think every team they could potentially play in the playoffs, they just will. They just kind of have to do it. It's a lot. It's a lot of pressure to fall on basically one guy, but that's what happens when you're the franchise quarterback. To quote Deion Dawkins, they pay him a quarter a quor- of a billion dollars. <laughs> so yes, they do. I mean, I mean, that's it, it. It while it's it's a lot of pressure. I mean, it's. It's kind of kind of his gig, so, so he, I, he needs, he needs yeah. to step step up in those situations for sure. I know where you're coming from, and I also think that when he's needed to, for the most part, he has in most of the opportunities that he's had <laughs> yeah. this year, yeah, he definitely. has. They've also though, like we were talking about before we recorded this, it's like they're a win away from being the one seed potentially in the entire AFC, which feels like just so ridiculous after the season that they've had. And the Dolphins are, or I'm sorry, and the Patriots are a stupid loss uh, to the Dolphins away from still being ahead of the Bills right now. So the Damian, the Damian Harris fumble, yeah. Yep, yeah. So uh, it's it's been a weird year for the AFC. Like teams all over the place have weird wins. They have weird losses. Um, it's just kind of all over the place. And it's really just honestly, who's who's playing the best uh, when they get to it? And and that's where this thing kind of takes into shape because. While we're kind of talking about some of the flaws from the Bills from this game, even though they won by 14 points, they're uh-huh. still on a three-game winning streak. And as long as they don't completely blow it next week, they're going to be going to the playoffs on a four-game win streak, which is exactly what we talked about last week, which is how Tampa Bay did it last year. And not to say it's the exact formula for every single Super Bowl champion, but they were on a heater heading into the playoffs. And I'm, I'm darn sure... That over the final four games uh, of their season, it wasn't perfect. So, you know, we're talking about flaws, but the Bills are still winning. And the, that's that, that's a major thing to be optimistic about if you're a fan. Is there anything more with this defense specifically that you want to talk about? Or can I ask you a question about the playoffs and the big picture? No, 
No, you you ask away, my friend. Of the playoff teams right now, what matchup do you think is the most favorable for the Bills in the wild card round? Um, because I do think that this has now now that they've clinched a playoff spot, I think Bills fans are more interested in that probably than they are, you know, anything else really. Because it just uh, that's human nature. Everybody's already like, oh God, here comes the playoffs. Who could they play? Who do they match up well with? Who looks tough? You know, who would be tough to beat? So I want to get your thought on who you think would be the most favorable matchup for the Bills in Week One of the playoffs. Do you I need to? Say, I might say the, I, I might say the Patriots. And as weird as that is to say, because the Patriots beat the Bills in mm-hmm. Buffalo. Yeah, I I think the Chargers can test uh, the Bills in a way that they have not been tested with um, with their pass defense. And I don't think that the Bills have the rushing offense to exploit the Chargers' horrible run defense. Um, and the Colts, I mean, I don't think the Bills want anything to do with with that offensive line and that, uh, that running scheme and that running back. So I'm probably taking the Patriots with that because the Patriots – are a bit flawed on offense. They have a really good run defense and uh, or a really good running game. But Sean McDermott does really well against rookie quarterbacks. Showed it against Mac Jones. I th- I think I think it's probably the Patriots between the the three teams that are in there right now and I don't think Vegas is going to be in the playoffs. I could be wrong, but I mean if 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 the Raiders make it, the answer is the Raiders. But I don't think they're going to make it. Yeah, I think that of the things that you just said, the only other one that I could come up with is if the Raiders beat the Chargers next week. Because then the Raiders would somehow sneak their way into the playoffs. And it would be really unlikely yeah. for that matchup to happen. If it's but, the Raiders, the Ra- it's the it's a home run for the Raiders, no doubt about it. But if we're talking Patriots, Colts, Chargers, I think that's a more interesting debate. Yes, I agree. And I'm sorry for that really awkward pause there. My headphones died. So I figured that's what happened. I figured that's what, because you, you know why? Because I literally just got done talking about the Raiders and I'm like, there's no way you heard that. Okay. Yeah, my, okay. I apologize. Everybody. No, you're good. You're good. I, I was, figured. I was scrambling. All of a sudden you just, there was no audio and I was like, oh my goodness. I do not know what's happening right now. And then when I switched my phone from AirPods to just sticking it up to my ear, all of a sudden, there was no, there was no, you weren't talking anymore. And I was like, oh God, this happened at the worst possible time for these things to die. So, okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, the Raiders, but I, yeah. I, I tend to agree with you. And I do think that, you know, having at least one home playoff game in Buffalo would be, you know, exceptional for them. I think that gives them an opportunity, like we said, because they haven't won a road playoff game yet. And then after that, who knows? Maybe they've got to go to Tennessee. And I, I think they got a shot in that game, too. I think they got a shot against pretty much everybody they'd play. I just would feel even more confident if the offense didn't have kind of a bad day today. Yeah. Um, I think the Bengals winning that game against the Chiefs was a bad thing for the Bills, if, if, I, if I'm honest. Um, because oh, yeah. if, the, if the Bengals lose that game, then that probably sets up a second round showdown, potential second round showdown between them and the Titans and uh, or them and the Bengals or them and another wildcard team. So that this increases the Bills likelihood that they will be the four seed. Mm-hmm. Um, and if the Bengals were to lose to the Browns, then that means it's probably going to be the Chiefs two seed, Bills three seed. And if both those teams win, then the Bills have to go to Kansas City in in the second round of the playoffs, which not ideal for them considering their history. But, you know, like you said, I I do think the Bills can win against any of these teams, and it's just a matter of getting hot at the right moment. But the big thing here is, and this is a a point that I've been – trying to make more mentions of in recent weeks, the Bills under Sean McDermott have not won a playoff game on the road. It's they've, they've lost all three opportunities. Their only two wins were last year against the Colts and the Ravens and both were in, in Orchard Park. So now it's an, it's another step to proving 
for them to become the Super Bowl champions that they are. They're going to have to go on the road eventually in this postseason if they are to get to the Super Bowl and and win it. But for it to come a week earlier and against the team that has been what st- you know stood in their way last year and has been standing in the entire AFC's way for the last several years, um, that's that's not exactly ideal. I'm really now. I didn't get to see a ton of the game just because it was happening, obviously, at the same time as the Bills game. But I was like you. I think the Chiefs are, even though they lost today, I still think they're the scariest potential matchup for the Bills and the biggest hurdle that they would have to jump over. I cannot get over the fact that they only scored three points in the second half. Yeah, that's just crazy to me. Yeah, it. Uh, I I I didn't see a lick of that game, but. Yeah, that uh, the fact that the Bengals shut them down was was very interesting, and you know they they shut down their major weapons um, mm-hmm. in in the second half too. So yeah, it, that will be a, a fun one to watch back throughout the week. All right, let's uh let's get to some awards, shall we? Um, mm-hmm. The um, the Bills defeating the Falcons. They're now ten and six. So now we get to hand out some awards. Yeah. Uh, let's start with the Dree Archer for the player that didn't show up. At all today, Matt Bovey. At all, I am at all. I am going to go with Dawson Knox, and that's true. I don't think it was really a fault of his own. No catches for Dawson Knox. Very strange, considering mm-hmm. how much they like him. So he's my answer. Yeah, uh, I mean, obviously a, a very good answer because two targets, zero catches. I'll, I mean, I'll just go with Isaiah McKenzie. Um, they put him on the field. On eight different goal line snaps, had only one catch, two targets, just um, and they get, they enhanced his role a bit. Would have liked to see a little bit more from him. Um, so so yeah, that uh, to me he he gets basically you can pick anybody um, from the passing offense except for Stephon Diggs. Probably I mean, and Davis made a nice catch, but he went. Uh, he might be a, a candidate for the second award. Um, it, yeah, they they were kind of no-shows in, in the second half, and much by design. Yeah. So that brings us to the Vontae Davis Award for the player that did not show up in the second half. Does it have to be a member of the Buffalo Bills? Um, Yeah, we'll, we'll confine it to that. Okay, because we know what would be the obvious answer here. Um, I am going to go with the second half. A little... Interesting. I'm going to go with Josh Allen. And it's more so not because... Well, no, it is. It is exactly because... I'm going to do the typical... No, it's not. No way it is. I mean, he throws an interception on the first offensive drive of the second half. And then they basically just start running the ball with Devin Singletary. So I understand that the passing offense, passing attack wasn't working and they needed to switch it up. Josh Allen was still effective on the ground in the second half, and he made a couple nice throws, but he wasn't really a prototypical quarterback in the second half. He was turning around, handing it off, and then trying to make plays on the ground. So I'm going to go Josh Allen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, completely fair. And I'm not really sure that there's there's another... I don't know if there's really someone else. I might might go to the Falcons side and go with uh, Cordero Patterson. Um, the, the job that the Bills did on him today was great. I mean, he they he only had 11 total touches, um, none of which, and this, this is my favorite start, stat of the Patterson stuff, none of which were on third downs. So they completely took him out of the equation on third downs. And uh, his two, his best two plays were as a pass catcher where they try to get him into open space, but as a runner, they completely took him out because they, they kept trying to go wide. And that was a big thing that, that uh, they've been doing against teams and the bills did a really nice job of it. Patterson on his rushes, um, you know, averaged only 3.1 yards per carry, um, for the entire game on 11 touches, only 4.7 yards per touch. So just a, just a nice job all in all by the linebackers, the safeties, the defensive line to keep him in check because, they knew he was the entire key to their offense because if he's not going, then that allows the pass rush to get there a little bit uh, more often. And then it allows, um, of course, 
pressure slash, you know, uh, not really anything to write home about on offense. So, yeah, I'll go with Cordero, Cordero Patterson for the Vontae Davis Award. Totally fair. Uh, all right, let's go to the Matt Barkley Award for the player that caught you by surprise for a good reason. I am going to say... Uh, I don't want to use this person yet. For good reason. <laughs> you know, I'm going to say Zach Moss just because yeah, in the limit in the limited carries that he had, he was effective, and that is a good sign moving forward because they are going to need him at some point. And it's still you're still dealing with a young player who's in the second year of his contract, who's going to probably be on this team for at least a couple more seasons, just because of how team friendly his contract is. So. You do want to see him more involved, and I think today was one of his more effective games, even though he only had five carries. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. Uh, I'm going to go with Tommy Doyle. Um, He played 18 snaps by my count today. They ran a lot of sixth offensive lineman stuff and did a nice job with it. And also, uh, he, because Deion Dawkins was completely out of breath after running his route and getting (laughs) his, his pass target... He stayed in the game at left tackle the next play and um, sealed the edge for Allen to get to the end zone for the touchdown. So good job by Tommy Doyle. So he gets the Matt Barkley Award for a player that caught you by surprise for a good reason. Um, all right. Next up is the Gotta Watch the Tape Award. Matt Bovet, what do you got? <laughs> well, I was going to say Tommy Doyle. No. Um, no, you weren't. No, of course not. Okay. <laughs> but I do have to keep the shtick going of offensive linemen. I think I've only broke it like once or twice this year with the not choosing offensive linemen. But <laughs> I'm actually going to go with somebody that I picked for a different award, but I think it's still okay in the sense because for me it's Dawson Knox. And I do want to figure out why he wasn't utilized the way he normally is and how much of it was... Josh not seeing things that were potentially there and how much of it was the Falcons basically just trying to do everything they could to cancel him out. And I just want to see, is this something that other teams could replicate? And if so, where are there going to be other openings? So I guess the answer would be Dawson Knox, but also Dawson Knox and how it impacts everybody else. That's that's solid. I have to watch the tape to see... Who the hell the Falcons were targeting in the second half? Because, <laughs> I mean, you you know Kyle Pitts. Most people know Cordero Patterson. I think at least half people know Russell Gage just because of fantasy football. That's it. That's it. I mean, Mike Davis. But Matt Beauvais, do you, do you have the stats in front of you? Yeah, right I do. Now? So I do. Oh, but if, I was going to ask you, can you name the other four players that were targeted <laughs> today by the Falcons? No, I have, I have it here. I wouldn't have been able to tell you that, though. The names are Christian Blake. Yep, he had one target. Frank Darby. One target. Olamide Zacchaeus. <laughs> Three targets. Two catches and eight. Eight. Yep, and the first down sensation, <laughs> Parker Hess, number forty-six. I looked at the first the first catch he made, and it was like a little dump down option where it looked like they had Ryan dead in the water. Um, he, I looked I looked at him and I said, "Who the hell is number forty-six? Because I I looked at my notes when I was going through um, the film, and they had I, I think it's because they had a lot of COVID cases. And stuff, so so they had to depend on guys that they didn't most often didn't. Um, but their usual fullback is number forty. His name is Smith. So Parker Hess just complete me th- completely threw me for a loop. I'm like, God, what, what, uh, what, what a time. Well, I looked, I looked at Josh Reed at one point from uh, News Four, sitting next to me to my right, up in the press box. When they threw to Zacchaeus, or however you pronounce it, and I was like, I need to go get a flip card from the table when you walk into the press box, because I have no idea who these people are. And he was like, yeah, this is crazy. I mean, like these guys. And I also was pronouncing his name Hesse and not Hess. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, we can go with Hesse. Hesse is way more fun. 
So they were without um, Tajay Sharp, who normally gets some solid snaps for them. Uh, they were without Hayden Hurst. Um, they didn't use Lee Smith like at all in the game. And then Kyle Pitts was dealing with like a hamstring injury uh, and just wasn't great for him. So, yeah, the the Bills um, did not have much of a, of a challenge there. Uh, yeah, the Falcons were, were, were bad. And then the last <laughs> award is the Blaine Gabbert, Matthew Fairburn Award for Perseverance. Matt Bovey, who you got? I'm going to go Devin Singletary. Um, I Aww. I know I hate to do the back-to-back running back, running back thing, but uh, as I always say, if there's low-hanging fruit, I'm not going to be afraid to be the one to take it. So Devin Singletary it is. Wow. Yeah. Um, that... Uh... He he was he was great today. Kudos to him, and we did, I don't think we talked about him a ton on this podcast. So he 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 deserves a spot here. Yeah, he was good. Um, yeah, he was he was very good. Um, broke some tackles. Yeah, good job, good job by him. Um, man, I don't know. Not I, a, I, not a ton. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the Blaine Gabbert Matthew Fairburn Award for perseverance to. For the same reason that uh, that I gave it to myself, I'm giving it to Matt Bovey. Oh, God. What because, no, because you fought through the adversity of your AirPods dying, which <laughs> oh, happened you. to me earlier in the season. And because I have no other <laughs> possible people that I could give it to. Well, I, I mean, I could make something up. But it's, it's a lot more entertaining this way. And well, you... We're able to almost seamlessly pick up where I left off, even though you hadn't heard me for the 30 seconds before. So good on you, Matt Bovey. You, you won know, the, the, the Blaine Gabbert Matthew Fairburn Award for Perseverance. Well, first off, thank you. I'm flattered. I appreciate You're welcome. That. You're wa- is, this your, is this your first podcast award? I think it is. Yeah. Wow. Unless I got an award when you guys called me in the middle of the night to see if I'd wake up. <laughs> but, deep cut. Deep cut. Yeah. I don't know if I got an award for that, but I will say... The only reason that this award is possible, as you know, I'm a pretty frugal guy who doesn't like to buy new things. Well, a couple (laughs) weeks ago, I went and I bought a new phone. And one of the reasons I justified buying a new phone is because for the last two years, my previous phone only worked when it was on speaker. So I was like the turning into your parents guy in the commercial, where I'd be like walking around Wegmans talking to my wife and I'd be like, so we need hummus, but I would be on speakerphone. And if this was, if this conversation was happening, let's say week 12, I don't know what I would have done because my yeah. phone would have only been able to work on speaker and we would have needed to really figure it out. We would have needed to persevere, <laughs> but shout out to the having a phone that actually works when you put it up to your ear. It's funny. You brought up that commercial because um, most times when those come on, you're one of the first people I think about. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did. Uh, I tweeted. A, I tweeted a thread of uh, just some of like my favorite like videos and pictures from the 2021 year of just covering the bills the other day on New Year's Day or on New Year's Eve rather. And one of the videos that came up was me getting a phone call and pressing the button on my Apple Watch to accept it and then like putting the phone up to my head and trying to talk into the phone or trying to talk into my watch. And it was... I have never turned more into an adult than I had in that moment, and it was captured perfectly on camera. <laughs> uh, another reason I'll give you the Blaine Gabbert Award for Perse- Blaine Gabbert Matthew Fairburn Award for perseverance is because um, you rolled in today. I mean, you were in a fantasy football final. You rolled in today saying, "Hey, if I win, <laughs> I'm gonna get a sauna." <laughs> the game is not going your way, and you're like, "You know what? Screw it." I'm still getting the sauna, so that's persevering too, my friend. So you get a double, double dip, not a du- not a durable derp, a double dip on Blaine Gabbert, Matthew Fairburn Award for perseverance. Well, new year, new me, and Wayfair has everything that I need. So there you go. <laughs> okay, the Jets game can't get here soon enough. All right, <laughs> all right, Matt Bovey, uh, any fond words of farewell before we uh, we head out this evening? No. Well, actually, no, I actually don't have anything. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Good job. Good job. You're self-scouting and everything. Look at you. 
All right. So uh, the Bills win. They are 10 and 6. They are in the playoffs. They are one win over the Jets away from claiming the AFC East and a home playoff game in the first round of the playoffs. And uh, yeah, should be a doozy. And they're favored by at least 17 points against the Jets. So we'll see how that goes. All right. So if you haven't yet, head over to theathletic.com slash the Buffalo Beat. Get yourself a discount on your yearly subscription. Again, again, that's theathletic.com slash the Buffalo Beat. So that'll do it for us. Uh, My thanks to you for listening. My thanks to Matt Bobet, my co-host on the post-game show. And my name is Joe Biscaglia, and we will talk to you later in the week. And then we'll see if the Bills are able to do what they need to do and clinch that first round home playoff. See you then.